have you uh, with us uh, this morning. Uh, I appreciate you braving the snow and the ice to be here in church in the year of our Lord 2022. Best way to start off the new year, we believe, is in the house of God. And I know not uh, everybody is excited uh, for what lays ahead, but I got a sense of optimism and anticipation that God is up to something good in this year for your life. And so just go ahead and, and just make sure this year, I think it's important that, that you're careful what you listen to and what you allow to come out of your mouth. <clears throat> because the world would love for you to have just the worst year ever, worse than 2021. It can't get any worse. It's the year my dog died and my wife left and my house burned down. And it's like a depressing country song, you know. The world would love for you to have that type of year. But we're the people of God. We're blessed and highly favored. <laughs> and it's not just charismatic speech. It's not just word of faith stuff. It doesn't mean that the curse doesn't exist. It means that the blessing I've got is stronger than the curse that exists. It don't mean that turmoils don't happen. It don't mean that trials don't happen. It means that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And so I don't know what type of year you want to have or you're going to have, but we got to make some declarations and we ought to align ourselves with the truth of, of what scripture says. And, and uh, you know, we've got no other option in this hour outside of being exactly what God has asked us to be. And I think maybe the greatest antidote to some of the fear and the anxiety and the stress of the world around us is understanding who Christ says you are, understanding the invitation that he's given you, understanding what he says to be true about your life. And so we're just going to go ahead and confess that the scriptures are true. Let God be true and every man a liar. We're just, we're just going to go ahead and confess that Christ is still on the throne. He's not, he's, not, he's not in heaven sweating, nervous, anxious. Oh my God, oh my me, what are they going to do? Ah! No, the Bible says the nations rage. He laughs. He says he holds them in his hands. He says the heart of the king is like water in the hand of God. He moves it in whatever direction he wishes. No, God's got this. Do I know what tomorrow holds? No. But I know the one who holds tomorrow. And if you're seated in him, and if you're secure in him, listen, the storms, they can rage around you. People can be upset. Culture can be upset. Media can be enraged. But when you've got Jesus with you in the boat, you've got a peace that passes your understanding. And so we have an opportunity this year to be the people of God in really profound and special ways. And so I'm just going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you, actually. I'm going to challenge you. Be, be especially careful as we're coming into this new year on what you listen to coming in and what you allow going out. And let's go ahead and prophesy ourselves into life and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. We want to welcome all of our folks joining us online. Next Sunday, we're going to be doing Membership Sunday, but we have even membership for folks who are watching online. And e even this week, we got membership applications from people in Florida, Wisconsin, Montana, Idaho. We had some in California, but we rejected those automatically. But I said no. But anyways, God's doing some good things. We just encourage people, you know, uh, being a member of the house of God, that, that, that doesn't make your mansion in heaven any bigger. But what it does say is I'm an owner, not a renter. What it does say is I got skin in the game. What it does say is I'm not just here for a good time, I'm here for a long time. I'm committed. I'm going to be a builder. I'm going to be a bringer. Together, we're going to do these things. And so, anyways, we're going to be introducing new members 
uh, on, on, on Sunday. And, and if you have time before then to go ahead and sign up online, we'd love to welcome you and give you a gift next Sunday. This morning, I'm going to share with you out of the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> chapter 9, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 9, where Dr. Luke tells us a story about the life of Jesus, an interaction that he has with three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and then an interaction they have collectively with a demon-possessed boy in the valley who is in need of breakthrough and deliverance. I believe that there are some principles out of Luke 9 that show us the character of God, the invitation of the hour, and then leave us with an opportunity to engage. In Luke 9, starting in verse 27, the Bible says this, Truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and, and James with him, and they went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And then two men appeared, Moses and Elijah. And they appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke, watch, about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. I want you to notice some things from the first five verses that we read of uh, this morning. Jesus is appearing on what we now know, uh, what is now called or commonly referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's some disagreement uh, with archaeologists and, and theologians on exactly which mountain this was in that area. Some, some believe it, it was Mount Hermon. Others believe it was Mount Tabor. Some believe it was Mount Sinai. But we're not sure exactly which mountain. So today we just call it the Mount of Transfiguration. But Jesus is up there in prayer with three disciples. And as he's praying... He is transfigured into the fullness of glory and splendor that he had with the Father prior to coming to earth. And in doing so, Peter, James, and John are so shook by what they see that they're left speechless until Peter opens his fat mouth. But we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. There's a reason why Jesus appears with these two figures. <clears throat> number one, because of what they represent. But number two, because Christ is the fulfillment of what they represent. Now, Jesus tells his disciples this in Matthew 5. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, watch, but to fulfill them. Meaning this, Jesus took the very concept of the law and he brought it to its fullest meaning. Jesus takes the very idea of prophetic messengers and in doing so says, I am the fulfillment of what you have prophesied for for thousands of years. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did. See, the law could tell you that you were messed up, but it couldn't give you a path towards redemption. The law could tell you that you were a sinner, but it couldn't make you righteous. So Jesus shows up in the fullness of time and he wipes out the handwriting of requirements against your life. He doesn't abolish the law but he fulfills it and in doing so gives you a new law love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself and if you will do these things you will fulfill the fullness of what the law intended to do which was create a righteous person but Jesus also fulfilled the prophets he said what you have longed for every shadow in the Old Testament 
every type in the Old Testament, every feast that you celebrated, every special day that you had, the very construction of the temple itself was built to honor who I am. And today I fulfill those realities. Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah and in doing so communicates to Peter, James, and John, I am closing out the old covenant and bringing in the new for the new covenant will be in my blood. What the law couldn't accomplish, Christ did. What the prophets foretold, watch, Christ fulfilled. Paul says it this way in the book of Galatians. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our guardian or our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And what is the topic of their conversation with Jesus and Elijah and Moses? The Bible says they were talking about the soon coming death and resurrection of Christ. Because it would be at that moment that Christ would march into paradise and welcome all the saints of old who died not receiving their promise into eternal life. This is why Hebrews 11 is so significant. It tells us the story of the heroes of faith. It gives us all of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. It tells us about the great exploits that they did, the incredible things that they saw. And then it ends the chapter by saying, and each of these died not receiving their promise. When they died, they went to the waiting place. When they died, they went to paradise, but not to heaven. When they died, they were still waiting for God in the fullness of time to send Jesus so that after his crucifixion and burial, he could apply his blood to the mercy seat and and in doing so, welcome them into eternal life. And as Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop, he is telling them, your work was not in vain. Your faith was not in vain. I know you haven't seen it, but you will see it because I am the very personification of everything that you have ever desired. And there will soon come a day where I will march into paradise and I will take the patriarchs by the hand and I will walk them in to the fullness of their reward. And that's why you can't give up in the middle of your story because there is still a Jesus who walks into every unfinished chapter of your life and says, I am not just the beginning, but I am in the end and I will finish what I started I'm fired up this morning now watch Jesus had 12 disciples but only three came up the mountain Peter James and John and Peter barely let's be honest I love Peter because I identify with him most, but let's be honest, he was a last minute addition. <laughs> Hear me, Fred. Jesus loved each of the disciples the same, but not all relationships are created equal. It wasn't that the other nine disciples were any less important to Jesus. It was that three could handle the altitude of where Jesus was going. 2022 has to be the year where you get strategic about which relationships belong at which elevation because not everyone nor everything can go where you are going and that's not bad news, it's good news. And some of us have suffered under the bondage of trying to take all of the baggage with us 
into new seasons of life where that baggage either doesn't make sense or it won't fit. And we've got to learn to be strategic about the one, the three, the 12, and the crowds. Because even out of Peter, James, and John, the Bible says Jesus had one. His name was John, the disciple he loved, the disciple that he charged with taking care of his mom while Christ was on the cross. The Apostle John, the only one of the early disciples who didn't die via persecution, they tried to kill him, he just refused to die. Even out of the three, Jesus had one. And I think sometimes for us, in the way that we process our own spiritual development, we're willing to follow God wherever he leads us as long as we can take everything and everyone with us. And here's the reality, not everything can go where you're going. I don't mean that in a selfish way. I don't mean it in a prideful way. I mean in a wisdom and a strategic way. You need the knowledge of God and the wisdom of Christ Jesus to operate in your life, to give you revelation on not only what you should do, but how you should do it. And you gotta recognize the elevation to where God is taking me, not everybody can come with. And it's actually not good stewardship or good leadership to take people to places they're not ready for. You know, my six-year-old always asks me if he can drive the car. It wouldn't be good of me as a father to tell him yes, even though he's my son. Why? Because he's not ready for it. And some of us have defined good leadership as the ability to not say no. And you must say no to good things in order to say yes to God things. You must develop the backbone in your life and the vision and the strategy in your life to walk with the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus in this season in such a way that you honor the God-given calling and destiny he's placed on you. Not everyone can go where you're going. And you can't go where everybody else is going. But you ought to honor God with the way in which you run and don't grow weary. verse 32, the Bible says this, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Can you imagine this moment? Jesus is praying. The disciples are sleeping. This happens commonly. All of a sudden, Peter overhears something. Turns to see Jesus being transfigured in their midst. It's so crazy how often the supernatural interrupts the supernormal and catches the disciples off guard. Like Jesus isn't selling tickets. He hasn't announced anything. It's not a revival night. Jesus is just praying on a mountain with three of his friends. And in the midst of a common activity, in response to an extraordinary God, the glory of the sun is revealed in fullness in such a way that Peter, James, and John see his very clothes begin to shine like lightning. And the Bible says they went from very sleepy to very awake. I want you to see something, friend. The Bible doesn't say they were woke. It says they were awake. Being woke is a demonic counterfeit to being awake. Watch, watch. When I'm woke, my highest calling is to please culture. When I'm awake, my highest calling is to please Christ. 
When I'm woke, I confess my privilege to please progressives. When I'm awake, I confess my sin to Christ that I may be healed. When I'm woke, being politically correct is my top priority. When I'm awake, being biblically correct is my top priority. When I'm woke, I'm saved by activism. When I'm awake, I'm saved by grace. See, it's time for the church to go ahead and wake up because that is in fact our primary response to seeing his glory. Friend, revival isn't the start of something new, but instead it's the church waking up to something really old. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5 and 14, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. It's not like revival started when the pursuit showed up. No, people from the pursuit began to gather and wake up to the reality that has always existed, which is this, from the moment of outpouring on the day of Pentecost, it has been an open season on revival and reformation and all who have an ear let them hear and all who have eyes let them see and all who have the ability to participate you are welcome and invited into the river of God no revival didn't start when we showed up revival started when he showed up and we have awoken to his reality on earth there is an open heaven invitation for all who have ears to hear and eyes to see Oh, you can be a part of this too. Awaken. Why? The King of Glory is here. Now the story continues, but I'm going to read it from the Gospel of Mark this time. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, I love this. Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Watch. Because he did not know what to say, for they was greatly afraid. Hear me. When fear motivates your speech, you'll always end up confessing the wrong thing. Peter was afraid, didn't know what to say. And so instead of just receiving from the encounter and the experience of God's presence in that moment, he opened his mouth to try to bring a human solution to a godly reality. Let me build some tabernacles. Hey, come on, let's get some two-by-fours. Let's build some booths and, and let's camp here for a little bit. To such a degree that a voice has to come from the cloud and say, stop talking, this is my son, listen to him. I love how in Mark 9 and in Luke and in the book of Matthew where they tell this story of the Mount of Transfiguration, not only do you have a cloud of his glory, but you have a voice that comes from the cloud. I want you to see this. When God begins to work amongst his people, not only do you get the abstract, but you get the actual. You have things that you can't explain, like a glory cloud that rests on a place or rests on a people. But oftentimes, out of the abstract comes the necessary. Out of the abstract comes a voice. Out of the burning bush, a voice speaks. Out of a cloud, a voice speaks. At the baptism at the Jordan River, a voice speaks. You have the cloud, which is the ethereal, and you have the voice, which is the actual. And what I found is in a house that honors the presence of God, what you get is both. You get the things you can't explain. And then you get those moments where God breaks through and says, stop talking. This is what I'm doing. Watch him. <laughs> when fear motivates your speech, you'll always end up confessing the wrong thing. Watch in Matthew 8, there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples say to Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? We're all gonna die. The great men of faith 
who changed the world, who bring the gospel to Asia Minor, the European continent, India, the known world. This is their great confession of faith. Don't you care that we're perishing? We're all gonna die. When fear motivates your speech, you always end up confessing the wrong reality. Watch, it happens again in Matthew 16. Jesus tells his disciples, I am going to Jerusalem to be crucified. Peter says, no, 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 no. I will never let that happen to you. When fear motivates your speech, you go from a pathway to a stumbling block. Friend, next time you're terrified, don't allow a false confession to come out of your mouth. It will only serve to make a bad situation worse. You can't afford to prophesy yourself into death. The culture is already trying to do that for you. You ever feel sick and then make the mistake of Googling your symptoms? Never do that. I got a headache. You Google it, it's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. In fact, we got a mass hysteria sweeping the nation. The spirit of hypochondriac has been released on the nation. Why? Because we've created a monetary value around hurt, pain, and victimhood. It's never been more valuable to be a victim. That's why we got so many people trying out for the Victim Olympics. Now watch. Don't allow a false confession to come out of your mouth. Oh, I'm always going to be this way. Well, you just might if you keep saying that. Oh, I'm never going to make a friend. Never going to recover. Never going to get a pay raise. My situation's never going to change. My marriage is never going to improve. The problem is, Scripture says this, the power of life and death is in your tongue. And you ought to be careful what you say because you're listening. And the lies that you tell yourself. And the false identities that you come under. And the curses that you believe. All of a sudden become the bondage and the prison cell that determines the destiny of your life. And so we ought to be careful this year. I'm not going to align with what culture says. I'm not going to align with what the bank account says. I'm not going to align with what my emotions say in this moment. I am everything God says I am. That's why scripture says that even when your heart fails you, Christ is greater than your heart. The Bible says this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice comes out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Hear me, friend. The glory of the Father always, always, always reveals the value of the Son. By the time the cloud lifted, they didn't have Moses who represented the law. They didn't have Elijah who represented the prophets. All they had was Jesus, and that was enough. And what I've found is that when the glory of God begins to invade your life, it adds to it as much as it takes from it. Sometimes we ask God to fill us up, but he can't because we're so full of other things. We're full of ourselves. We're full of other people. We're full of ideas and opinions and proclivities and ideas and notions and likes and dislikes and preferences. God filled me up. He says, I can't because you're so full of the wrong stuff already. And when the glory of God shows up in your life, it is to add to your life. But it's also in his grace to remove things from your life that are no longer necessary. When the glory cloud lifted, the patriarch Moses was gone. 
Remember when Moses dies and the Lord has to speak to Joshua in Joshua 1? He says, Moses, my servant is dead. But now, Joshua, you will lead the people. You know, there are some things in your life that have to die in order for you to move forward. There are some things in your life that have to continually be brought to the cross in order for you to make progress in your life. And I would love if every bad habit you have only had to come to the cross once. But if you're anything like me, what you find is that your bad habits tend to be cyclical in nature. And you got to always remind them who is the Lord of your life. So you might find yourself time and time and time again parking those bad habits at the foot of the cross. But there is no other place for them to go. When the glory of God shows up in your life, it's not just to add, it's also to remove. Not with a chainsaw, but with a scalpel, as the great physician does his best work in your life. You know, some of us have, have, have used the law or used good works as a crutch in our lives, thinking that the harder we try, maybe, just maybe, the more accepted I will be by God. When the glory of God shows up, all of a sudden, the striving and the dead works that you have been cleansed from begin to fall off of you in exponential fashion. The glory adds just as much as it, as it takes. Now watch here in verse 14. The Bible says, And then he came to the disciples, and he saw a great multitude around them, and, and they were disputing with the scribes. And one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. Foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, but they cannot cast it out. And then they brought it to Jesus. And when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Watch, help my unbelief. Hear me, friend. For the rest of your life, you will hold belief and unbelief in the same hand. God is not scared of your unbelief. But there is an entire movement of people shipwrecking their faith who have built idols to their unbelief. And that's where your doubt becomes weaponized by the enemy to create a stumbling block for your life. Sometimes in charismatic circles, it almost feels like I can't ever talk about the things that I struggle with believing lest somebody think that I'm a heretic. And you need to know that this is a safe place to be honest about what you struggle with. However, we are not creating an altruistic value around doubt. I'm going to believe my beliefs and I'm going to doubt my doubts. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to offer both of them as a sacrifice of praise unto God. Because even when I don't understand, I'm going to choose Jesus. Just, just let me help you for a moment because sometimes there are words that are used in our movement that go largely undefined and, and, and end up wreaking havoc on the minds and the lives and, and the epistemology of, of, of good believers. Friend, doubt is not deconstruction. Honest questions are not deconstruction. Admitting you don't have all the answers is not deconstruction. The Protestant Reformation was not deconstruction. The charismatic renewal was not deconstruction. Where you find pastors willing to reject the authority of Scripture, there you will find the seed of deconstruction. 
where you find churches ready to capitulate on the sexual ethic of the New Testament, there you will find the seed of deconstruction. Where you find theologians divorcing the words of Paul from the words of Christ, there you will find the seed of deconstruction. Jesus is the only way. The Bible is his only book. The church is his only organization. And friend, this is a line worth drawing in the sands. Now, if you were to continue to read the story, what you would find is that the crowds came to Jesus and they gathered around to see if he had the authority to do what his disciples were not able to do. And the Bible says that the boy approaches Jesus and the spirit convulses him greatly and he screams and he shrieks and he shouts and he yells and he foams at the mouth and he falls down as dead. But the Bible commands this spirit to leave. And his disciples come up to him privately after and they go, we appreciate that you did that, but it kind of embarrassed us. Why don't we have the power or the authority to do those things? And Jesus says this, this kind only come out by prayer and by fasting. I want you to see something. God is just as much at work in the spontaneous moments of my life as he is in the methodical moments of my life. The prayer, the fasting, the devotion, the behind the scenes stuff that nobody else sees, the things that you offer to God in the Monday through Saturday version of your life. God is not just in that moment of worship at the altar. He's in that moment of devotion on your lunch break. God is just as much at work in the Monday through Saturday as he is on the Sunday morning. And that's really good news because what that means for you and I is that we have access to the throne of grace in our time of need. Not just when a pastor stands on stage, but when Jesus Jesus by his spirit dwells in my heart. The disciples say, but why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says, oh, this kind only come out by, by prayer and fasting. I find it so interesting that the demon shrieked loudest just before Christ did the deliverance. It tells me this, the conflict is greatest when the breakthrough is closest. And you ought to learn to take resistance as a sign that you're closer than you've ever been before to breakthrough. And yes, the spirits will cry out. And yes, they will convulse greatly and try to play dead. But breakthrough belongs to the persistent. And this is gonna be a year where you set your face as a flint towards the things of God and you refuse to be moved. And it don't matter how loud the culture shrieks. And it don't matter what they say on social media. And it don't matter what come against me because there's something greater that I carry. There is a hope like a seed that's been planted in the soil of my heart. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. What you meant for evil, God in fact will use for good. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We're just gonna be what God has asked me to be. And no matter how loud you yell, there is a voice that still comes from a cloud that says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and who I am well pleased. And that's the type of people we're going to be in the year of our Lord, 2022. It is the year of God's favor and God's increase for your life. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Come on, I'm going to add my faith to yours. Come on, let's partner in faith this morning. And let's agree with what God says to be true. Father, we thank you that you are for us, not against us. God, we thank you that you have put your blessing and your favor like a crown on our heads. God, we pray that this would be a year of abundance, that our lives would prosper even as our souls prosper. And that, God, you would do your best work both in us and through us. 
Give us a resilience. Give us a persistence. Give us a breakthrough spirit and attitude that doesn't shrink back from our moment of trial or tribulation. And God will give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the honor, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you're here today and need prayer in your life for any reason, physical healing, need to give your life to Jesus, you haven't done so, I'd sure love to add my faith to yours here at these altars. These altars are open today. If you need prayer, why don't you make your way forward? Let's agree with each other in faith as we start the new year. God bless. We'll see a lot of you tomorrow night for Pursuit Night, 6 p.m. Love to have you in the house of God. God bless.